All the games I used to play in my younger wilder days. The game of clubs and teas. What is up? Welcome into a special Masters episode uh, of the Turn Fancy Golf Pod. We're really glad to be with you. Got a huge week ahead that we're very, very excited about. Ton of amazing guests coming on this week. Going to be doing a show every night, uh, starting tonight through next Sunday night after the Masters. So uh, we know there's a lot of uh, PGA DFS content out there this week, uh, but you'll, we hope you'll put aside a little time to uh, join us every night uh, as we work our way through and, and have some amazing guests. Uh, the first of which is my boy, Just Swish, uh, Josh Bennett, uh, my guy, my buddy, uh, my fellow Roto Baller. Uh, really ha- happy to have Josh on with us. Jish, how's it going, buddy? Talk it's, to me a little bit. It's going pretty good, man. I uh, got out on the golf course today. It was it snowed, so that was kind of fun. Uh, but man, it's it's going pretty good. We're finally getting into to major season here, so it's, it's getting exciting in pro golf too. Yeah, man, super excited about the Masters. Uh, really glad to have you on with us. And uh, what we're going to talk about with Josh tonight is. Uh, just kind of a kind of a course overview. Uh, we're going to hit some different topics each night this week. Uh, we're we're dipping our toe in the water and easing in the night with uh, talking about Augusta National a little bit. It's a golf course that most people are very very familiar with. Perhaps one of the most famous golf courses in the world. Um, and the Masters is the only major that's played on the same course every year. So we've we've had uh, plenty of time to get kind of acquainted with Augusta National. Um, everyone kind of knows the history behind it. Augusta National Golf Club, uh, founded by Bobby Jones and Clifford Roberts. The course design done by Bobby Jones and Alistair McKenzie. Uh, maybe one of the most famous courses in the world, as I said, and, and maybe one of the most exciting golf courses in the world, which is what makes the Masters so great. Um, stretching out to over 7,500 yards this year, Josh, uh, a, a par 72, um, you know, we'll dive into some details, but just kind of give me your thoughts, your initial, you know, kind of first look at the golf course this week uh, and, and what you think works on it, man. Some stats that maybe you're looking at and just uh, your overall feel for the course as a whole. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, Augusta's a it's it's one of maybe the most famous course on the planet. Everybody knows it. Everybody watches it. So, I mean, that. I bet a lot of people can name all 18 of, of the courses by their actual names, not just hole one, hole two, where they can, you know, name the actual name of the holes. So, I mean, we don't have to dig into the specifics of every hole. That's obvious. Um, but the, the funny thing is the, you can look at every hole all you want, but if you think at a gut of Augusta as a whole, just kind of how, what you need to be to be successful on it, it actually is kind of simple in my mind. If you look at past leaderboards going back, however many years you want to go, even like very recent years, it's it's very obvious. Even um, you need you're looking at dudes that hit the ball pretty far. I mean, if you're looking at the top of the leaderboard, there's not a whole lot of guys up there that are hitting it, you know, carrying it to 60, 270 off the tee. You need the dudes that are hitting it. 290 300 off the tee that's uh, that's a good place to start and then like you said the course is long and it's getting longer we can talk about that um coming up here if you want um but 
the course is long, so it's not a driver wedge fest, even though, you know, you'll hear people saying it's, if it plays firm and fast, whatever ball might roll out a little bit, the course is still pretty long. So they're going wedge into eight iron, seven iron, six iron. That's what they're going into. They're not going driver wedge. So you kind of want to look at the guys that are your typical ball striker guys is what people love to say, but it's the, it's the mid range iron people that you're looking for. It's, it's one of the things that tiger was way better at than everybody else. That's why he's really good here. He can hit it out to 160 and he'll hit it closer than anybody else. It's something that Colin Morikawa does really good. He's one of the best mid to long iron players that's on the tour right now. Um, those are kind of the guys you're looking at once you get off the tee, obviously, distance off the tee then you're looking at those mid-range guys if you're not finding a mid-range guy that you're liking some guys that are missing the green you got your patrick reed for example that plays here pretty well he's not a great iron player we know that um but if you're missing the green then you need those short game specialists that can chip it around they can be you know aggressive around the greens they can be special around the greens spieth is like that too um he's not super great mid-range but He'll just get it close to the green and then he'll chip it up and get it close and get a par. It's not a, uh, it's not a course where they're just zipping wedges in close to the pin and they're, they're ripping birdies. They're, you know, hitting it to 20, 30 feet. And then either it's on the green or not on the green. And then they're trying to save par. So you're kind of looking for the guys that are people like to use the term grinders, for example, you're kind of looking for those guys that are, it's not dudes that are out there firing at pins and making birdies. It's the dude that dudes that know how to, you know, miss the green and then know what to do from there to get it in without, you know, losing strokes. So um, I guess I talked for a long, I said it was simple and then I talked for a long time, but it's, I think it's long hitters, mid range irons, And then, you know, if you don't have the mid range irons, then, you know, you need to be a short game guy. So yeah, man. Uh, like a lot, a lot of what you said right there. I mean, I think we all know that it's not simple. Um, the, and that's maybe the most interesting thing about this golf course is just how many kind of nuances and, and subtleties there are uh, to this golf course. We see guys, uh, you know, there are, of course, exceptions to every rule, but uh, broadly struggle, uh, you know, in their first couple of times around this golf course. Uh, the last first time winner of the Masters was uh, playing in his first master start was uh, back in 1979, Fuzzy Zeller. Um, so that kind of gives you an indication uh, as to how tough it is initially on guys and, until they kind of learn those uh, those subtleties and nuances, uh, especially around the greens, which you talked about. Um, you know, short game is something that, uh, from a DFS perspective, we often don't put a lot of uh, – of stock into uh, mm-hmm. give me your thoughts on maybe looking at around the green a little bit this week because we you know we've seen some guys with uh, masterful short games uh you know yeah I, th- I think i think short game is important for especially for people that aren't that aren't great ball strikers historically so i i mentioned reeds i mentioned spieth those are two people that stick out to me where you know, they're, they're not sitting at 170 yards and they're like, Ooh, I'm tossing it at this pin and I'm going to hit it to five feet. That's just not what they're going to do. They're going to hit it out there. They're probably going to miss the green a bunch of times, but then they're, they're wizards with their wedges. They, they take it high, take it low. They can do whatever they need to do. Use a bunch of different wedges. They probably pull out fairway woods if they need to. They're just, they're so good when they get around the greens and they know how to 
they know how to read all the slopes and they know how to tell how fast or how not fast the greens are, all that stuff. So they, they're so good at being able to just get it on the green and getting it close enough where then they can roll in a putt. And again, Reed and Spieth are also very good putters too, obviously. So that's part of being a good short game player is, you know, even great short game players, they're not, they're not taking their chips from 15, 20 yards or whatever it is. And they're, they're not always putting it to two, three feet tapping range. They're getting up just close enough where they can putt it in most of the time. So it's six, seven feet sometimes, but then they're going to roll a lot of those in. So it's being good chipping, obviously, but also being good putters too. So um so yeah i mean if if you're not going to be good with with the the mid or long range irons you need to be a speed or read type that can you know get up and down frequently yeah yeah for sure and it's i mean it's really a you know kind of an interesting contrast when you talk about um you know, you know ball strikers versus more you know short game based guys um and you feel like one or the other's got to they both have to click you know, if you're, yeah. if you're a Jordan Spieth or a Patrick Reed, you gotta, you gotta have your irons clicking that week. And, and you know, to talk about, you know, a, a Colin Moore cow or Victor Hovland, um, guys who are obviously phenomenal ball strikers, you gotta have the, have that short game working a little bit that week. So, yep. uh, it, it's something we're going to be looking for. Uh, we got to kind of find that magic formula and, and get everything to click, uh, for a guy, a guy that pops to mind, just talking about short games, man, and kind of segueing into our, our next little segment here is Cam Smith. Um, phenomenal short game, maybe the best putter in the world right now. If I had to, if I had to pick a guy, uh, you know, to putt for my life right now, I'm probably taking Cam Smith. Yeah. Um, but but another thing that he does really well, and something I want you to touch on, uh, he, he dominates on par fives. Uh, I feel like that's an extremely important trait that we're looking for this week. I, I think it's kind of the cheat code of this golf course. Um, so give me your thoughts, man, on, on what these guys need to do on the par fives and, and kind of dig into that a little bit for me. Yeah. Then Joe, honestly, I, I think it plays into kind of what I was, what I was just mentioning with the, the good players from long range with irons and the good short game guys. So you got, you got the par fives that, you know, maybe they'll be able to get to, maybe they won't. They just, they just lengthened 15. It's going to be harder to get to in into now than it was in the past some people still might be able to but all of them won't so you know it's the shorter ones if they are going to be able to get there then you need like the long range irons for example cam smith one of the better long range iron players statistically that i can see so that's a good start for him and then you know as you mentioned great short game so par fives you're either long hitter getting into the green or you're putting it in a position that's short of the green somewhere. I mean, they're not all of them are hitting off the tee and then laying up to a hundred yards. They're trying to get as close to the pin as possible. So they're hitting it 280 off the tee. If you want to, we'll just use 280 for example, hitting it 280 off the tee. And then they're just getting up there as far as they can get it to 30, 40 yards, maybe closer. And then, you know, the short game plays into there. Cam Smith, obviously great short game player. So he's, they're getting it. He's getting up to 20, 30 yards. And then he's, you know, obviously, like you said, one of the, one of the best in the world right now, like getting the ball onto the green and finish it. And then on a par five, if he's going 280 to 30 and, you know, using whatever he needs to use on the greens, which 
he has proven to be very good at them in the past, by the way, using whatever he knows and getting it close to the pin and just roll the ball and it'll make birdies on the par five. He did. He's not the dude that's banging it, you know, super long off the tee and putting it on the green and two putting for a birdie. He's getting it around the green and chipping it somewhere close and then rolling the putts. in. so I, I think that's why he's good at the par fives here. He's obviously, he's not a long dude. He's just, you know, knows how to, you know, take advantage of a short game and, and, and take advantage of the par fives that way. I, I think Spieth is really good that way too. He's he's not a guy mm-hmm. that's hitting all the par fives in two. He's a he's a guy that's getting the ball close to the green on the second shot and then you know if, you know using his his special wedge work to get it close enough so he can roll the ball in. So yeah, uh, yeah I, I I think you're you're totally right. Taking advantage of the par fives is important. Um, but you don't necessarily need to be a long hitter to do that. I, I think short game is actually pretty important on the par fives. Yeah, for sure. I, I totally agree. And and of those two guys you mentioned, Spieth and, and Smith, it feels like uh, you know we we don't think of those guys as super long, but they're they're long enough. Um, and then, like you said, their their short game makes up for any shortcomings they might have. Um, something I did want to talk about, man. Speaking of being long enough off the tee. Uh, what what the real killer seems to be at this golf course are, are the par fours, man. Um, and, and that's where the lack of distance, uh, in, in my mind, comes into play. Um, you know, you mentioned there are more than one way to skin a cat on the par fives, but uh, with these par fours, man, it just puts these guys that are shorter off the tee, uh, you know, a Kevin Kisner, a Kevin Naw, uh, Webb Simpson, uh, who, who we've, we've seen overcome it in recent years. But uh, I believe nine of these ten – Par fours are over 440 yards. Yep. Um, and we've got multiple par fours of, of almost 500 yards. Um, so, you know, I feel like that's where that length off the tee really comes into play. These guys aren't going to score score well on the par fours by any means. Um, but, uh, you know, you kind of just have to survive these par fours. And, and some of these shorter guys just can't do that, man. So talk to me a little bit about these uh, lengthy par fours. At Augusta yeah, Marathon. yeah, for sure. And that's – it's – if you think about it, it's, it's basically just math playing golf. So it's, I mean, the longer guys are going to have shorter irons into the par four. So they're hitting eight iron into the par fours instead of five and six irons that Kevin Kisner might hit. And it might not even seem like that big of a deal, but if you, if you and I go out to the driving range, not that I hate comparing normal people to pro golfers, but if you and I go out to the driving range, and we're pulling out an eight iron and then we pull out a five iron. If you look at dis- just our dispersion, just think about it yourself when you're hitting golf balls. When you have an eight iron and you have a five iron, you're hitting it in a much closer circle than you are when you have a five iron. It's the same with the pros. And I say I don't like to compare ourselves to pros, but in that sense, we are, we're all similar. And it's, just how golf works with how the golf clubs work. So it's, you know, when you have a shorter club, you, your dispersion into the greens or to the hole is smaller. So obviously if you're longer off the tee, you have less room for air, I will call it. So when you're shorter, you're, you're just going to spray it left and right more than you are when you're longer. And on Augusta, specifically why why being longer matters is you can spray a little bit off the tee and still be okay so there are courses where 
you know, the trees start coming in a little bit or water starts coming into play a little bit off the tee. And then, you know, the shorter hitters kind of come back into play, but here it's, you can miss a little bit left. You can miss a little bit, right. Most holes you have between tree lines, you have 60 yards and pros can keep it between the uh, 60 yard margin. So it's fine. So (laughs) they all can just hit it as far as they want. And then, you know, once you have the shorter clubs, you just automatically have an advantage. So that's, that's the big deal with being long in Augusta and they'll never be able to solve that unless they start, which I guess they kind of had started doing, but unless they start putting trees in the middle of the fairways, it's, it's going to be hard to combat long hitters at Augusta just for that fact. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree, man. Let's, let's talk about, uh, Augusta national has been pretty proactive. Uh, on on adding on adding length and and this year i believe for the first time ever uh this course is going to card out at over 7500 yards um couple hosts specifically uh number 11 and i believe uh it's number 14 15 15 Uh, 11 and 15 uh have added some distance uh to kind of as you mentioned combat the uh the crazy amount of distance these guys are getting off the tee. So uh, talk to me a little bit about those two specific holes. Um, yeah. You know, we're, we're normally used to evaluating this course, basically the same every year. Yep. Um, but you know, for those listening, th- this is uh, kind of the big change this year. So talk to me about 11 and 15, Josh. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. I, I was, so I was looking at the changes and the kind of, the more I think about it, the more, I'm thinking that they might actually not matter much for the pros and I'll, and I'll explain. That. So number 11, for example, they moved it back 15 yards or so. Um, they talked about kind of recontouring the fairways. And then I believe they put a, they put a tree like kind of like the middle of the fairway. It looks like, which is interesting. So the, the interesting thing, I caught here, a little though, bit is, of the, uh, sorry to interrupt you, man. I was just gonna say, I caught a little bit of the, uh, the women's am yeah yesterday yeah and it looked like i was like what am i it looked like like you said there's it's yeah there's a tree uh almost in the middle of the fairway so uh, i'm glad you brought that up because i was i was trying to figure out what was going on i was just kind of popping in and out uh of the women's am yesterday but yeah, I, yeah. I did notice that so it's yeah really interesting. I, I don't know if it's exactly in like the dead center of the fairway but so w- what i've read is there they want to place emphasis on properly placed tee shots. So what they want, what they're trying to do is they're trying to reward golfers that can get the ball to the right side of the hole. And they recontour the the fairway a little bit. So it's a little flatter on the right side. And obviously if you're going right, the hole goes right. So, you know, you're, it's going to be shorter into the, into the green. You miss a little left. It's going to be more bumpy over there. So they say, and then obviously you have longer clubs in the, the interesting thing there though, is the moving the T T box back, assuming that they didn't widen the fairway from tree line to tree line. It's, it's pretty much 60 yards left to right from like 240 yards off the tee to like 320. So, and I'll tell you this, Joe, the, the pros, even we love to like watch the pros and be like, Oh, they just aim down the right side of the fairway. And then that's where they hit it every time, but they don't do that. They take strategic placements on, you know, down the fairway so that if they miss left, it's not going to be out of bounds. If they miss right, it's not going to be out of bounds. They, 
the pros play for like 55, 60 yards of dispersion. It's not like they're hitting it in like a 20 yard window. Like we see on TV a lot. So yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to avoid disaster basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, so why I say that I'm not sure the changes on 11 matter is they didn't bring the trees in from the outsides. So people are going to miss left and right the same anyways. It's just what basically what they're doing is they're kind of changing the luck of the hole. So if you get lucky and your ball ends up right, or if you weirdly aim right and it goes right, then, you know, you, you kind of get lucky and end up in a flatter spot, get a great shot. If you get unlucky, unlucky, then you're more unlucky left and you have a longer shot. So they're, they're just changing the luck. Really. They're not really changing the skill. If you know, you understand how dispersion and stuff works with, pros off the tee that they didn't really change anything on 11 15 though i think they did i think moving it back actually is going to change the strategy on the whole and yeah, it f- might not even 15's, actually change what's that 15's, uh 15 interesting man because uh, you know it's it's it seems to it's provided a lot of drama over the years seems yeah. to always seems to always be a pivotal hole coming down that back nine on sunday um, yeah, so really interested to hear your thoughts on 15. Yeah, so 15 is interesting. So they it, it's already questionable when you know you hit it off the tee. If you miss left, by the way, on 15, you just can't get to the green because there's trees on that side. Uh, but if if you have a good tee shot on 15, you can if you want, you can try and get it to the green. And obviously they do. We see eagles on 15 sometimes. So that happens, but moving it back 20 yards now you're taking a whole bunch of people and now they're hitting off the tee and they got 20 yards less. Now they have to really consider whether it's worth taking a three wood and trying to hit it perfectly over the water onto the green. And if it's playing firm and fast, by the way, you have to hit a three wood really high on that green. Cause it's not deep. So you have to like land it short on the green. Otherwise it's going to be over the green. So they're going to really have to think about, how to hit shots for a second shot if they're going to go for the green being farther back with you know they're going to have three woods or hybrids in now it's not going to be easier as it was before where they're probably you know we can probably go back and watch the watch the tapes and we'll see people are hitting irons into the green i don't think there's going to be a whole lot of that now adding 20 yards so it's going to be interesting to see whether you know people are going to take the risk and and hit fairway woods over there or if they're all just gonna you know just hit it down the hill and then and then try and score with wedges from right in front of the right in front of the water i'm guessing that we'll probably see a lot of that day one day two day three i don't think people will probably be taking the risk to take it over the water but if you got people that are chasing 15 uh, get or they're getting on 15 and they're chasing the leaders they know that they're one or two or three back and they you know they're hunting that eagle we might see some some pretty fantastic stuff with some fairway woods and some some hybrids trying to carry that water um so it i i think they i think the change they did make on 15 is is going to make some difference on sunday uh 11 i'm not so sure but 15 is going to be interesting for sure cool man i'm, I'm really excited to hear that because that's such a fun hole uh as we mentioned always a pivotal hole you know uh, in multiple masters we've seen so um I imagine you're right. I think they're trying to um, probably add some risk <laughs> into the risk sure. reward, um, w- which we don't really see much anymore on the 
kind of the regular PGA Tour schedule. It's it's almost a, an automatic. Uh, we're we're going for it in two. Um, so you know, I, I think Augusta's maybe trying to put a little uh, thought in these guys' minds uh, about how to play the hole and uh, make it a difficult shot when they are forced to uh, to try to get there, as you mentioned, when they're chasing. But uh, really looking forward to it, man. Uh, I love this golf course. It's it's my favorite. Um, so exciting. Always provides drama. Um, so really looking forward to it. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Josh. Uh, sure thing. We appreciate you guys for watching. Um, we'd like to thank rotoballer.com, uh, who Josh and I both do some work for. So you can head over to uh, rotoballer.com throughout the week. Uh, catch Josh's stuff. Catch my stuff. Uh, we do multiple things over there in tons of different areas. Um, so we encourage you to go over there and sign up for our PGA Premium Package, uh, which is unbelievably cheap, especially when you compare it to some of the other premium offerings out there. Uh, we think you'll be really happy with the price and with the content. Um, so we'd like to give a big thanks to Roto Baller for helping us do this show. And and thanks again, Josh, for coming on, man. It's, uh, it's really good to see you and always nice to talk to you. Look forward to uh, talking some more through the week. Um, not putting you on the spot here. It's early. Uh, it's Sunday, but uh, throw a couple names out at me, man. A, a couple names that just jump out you as a jump I'll, out at you as a. Girl. You're asking for you're asking for a couple. That means two, yeah. I think. Yeah. So throw I'm gonna me, give throw you me two. two uh, throw me two names out there of uh, guys that you feel like just uh, really fit this golf course. I'm 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 giving you two here, and it's I'm I'm giving you some people that may that may end up putting some balls in the water. So I'll be interested to see this. But I'm giving you. I'll give you Colin first. Okay. That's number one. And number two is Will Zalatoris. Love it. Those are my two guys, I think, right now. I, I love both those guys. Uh, we, we've seen, obviously, what Willie Z did last year, kind of bucking the trend in his debut uh, with the runner-up finish. Love him. Yeah. Uh, I was looking back, Josh. It, it's crazy, man. Will, Willie Z was 7,300 last year on DraftKings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, it's ridiculous how how things have changed. Uh, but yeah, man, and obviously Colin Morikawa already two majors. Um, at its heart, in a lot of ways, this is uh, it's pretty safe to call this a second shot golf course in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, yep. Uh, you know, Colin Morikawa, pretty good iron player. So yeah, uh, he's he's if you're looking for a second shot guy, that's your guy for sure. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, like both those picks and. Appreciate you again, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Uh, we'll talk again soon, and and thank you all for watching. Uh, stay tuned. We got a ton more stuff coming up, so uh, stick with us here at the turn. Appreciate you. Happy to have on me with me today on the turn, uh, Brady Cannon, coming straight from Sin City, Las Vegas, uh, representing uh, V Sin Live and T Times USA. Uh, like I told you in our pre-show communications, uh, Brady, I'd love to have you on and just talk about, you know, we're kind of in the DFS world and you're kind of in the, in the stats world and, and, and whatnot, and also in the leisure golf world. And we just kind of want to get together and talk about, uh, different things about golf. And, and also, uh, I mean, we got the masters coming up I mean, it's the most exciting week of the year uh, for us golfers. So, uh, if you want to go ahead and just go into a little bit of a, maybe a background of, uh, who you are. Um, and, and, and kind of how you got to be what you, where you're at now. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you very much for having me, Andrew. Uh, my career got started in sports and golf, uh, in the early nineties out of college. I was a uh, sports reporter in the Bay area for KSFO radio in San Francisco. 
And in 1994, I moved to Las Vegas and started working for a national uh, sports radio network. And shortly thereafter that, I got into the golf business. Uh, I was working directly at the golf course level. And then uh, in year 2000, got into the tea times business, uh, kind of like a golf concierge service where we make tea time reservations for people that were visiting Las Vegas and needed assistance with finding golf tea times and finding the right course to play and that type of thing. And I've been doing that for, uh, for 22 years ever since and got back into the radio and the broadcasting business. Um, gosh, probably about eight to 10 years ago now and uh, have been working for VSIN, the Vegas Stats and Information Network, for about the last four and a half years. That's a uh, sports betting network uh, that was developed by Brent Musburger and his family after Brent retired from ESPN. He came out to Vegas and helped start the VSIN network. It's a blast. So, you know, that's really where my career is uh, these days, talking about golfing and all kinds of sports betting and still making times for people that come to Las Vegas for a company now called uh, Tea Times USA. That's great. So, um, so when you, you, you know, I, I got in right out of college, you know, I play, I played a little college golf and then right out of college, I got into the uh, hospitality part of the country club, you know, working in the pro shop and whatnot. And uh, for anybody, you know, that doesn't know, I mean, uh, not saying that the hospitality world in golf is, 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 is dirty or nothing like that, but it, it's a hard business to be in. Cause uh, you're the, you know, it's, it's 12 hours at 14 hours a day in the sun, summer months. And, and uh, it's, it's a real backbuster. I mean, and I'm sure you experienced that in your, uh, your time doing that. Right. Yeah. When I was at the course level, I mean, I, I did everything. I, I, I was uh, outside services, scrubbing clubs and, you know, moving people back and forth from the parking lot to the first tee. And I, I then moved into the golf shop and then I became tournament director and assistant general manager. I worked in the restaurant for a while. So I've got quite a bit of background as far as golf operations. And uh, eventually uh, after doing that for hashtag about five years, uh, I, I flipped over into the tea times reservations business, but you're right. It, it all hospitality. And of course that's Las Vegas too. You know, Las Vegas is built on customer service and hospitality and the tourism business. So, you know, it, it's been uh, very rewarding. I, I enjoy taking care of people, setting them up with, you know, whatever it is, uh, restaurant recommendations, golf tea times, and, you know, providing a good time for people. It's, it's, you mentioned it's tough, but it's, it's better than digging ditches, you know, providing a good time and entertainment for people. And, you know, Las Vegas is really the capital of the world for that type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I know, I know you offer more than just Las Vegas. I was reading there, maybe Arizona, Florida, California, um, uh, for golf and, and maybe even more than that. But, um, you know, I've been out to Vegas a couple of times and, and, you know, I, I work with people, I'm over on the East coast. So I work with people that have never traveled out there. And I tell people all the time, if you even take the gambling out, it's still the, in my opinion, the best place in a, in America to go on vacation or at least see one time. And, and, uh, you know, got lucky enough to go out there and we played Costco and Rio Seco last time we were out there. Uh, two great places we actually had a tea time. I think it was whatever year the match was, we, we were, we had plans to play shadow Creek and, and it just, uh, 
we got a call two couple months before from the guy that we were going through. I don't know who we were going through, but uh, the guy we were going through and saying, "Look, man, they're they're deciding they're going to close the golf course down a couple weeks early for the match, and there's nothing we can do about that." You know, <laughs> so we got we got booted off that, which is kind of a disappointment. But I mean, I, I'm planning on coming out next year for uh, March Madness uh, and trying to do it again. So um, maybe we can get together one day while I'm out there. Yeah, sounds good. Of course, uh, we just finished up uh, March Madness out here. And uh, boy, I tell you, I, I think I like it even better than the Super Bowl. It's just because, you know, it's not one day or one week. It's it's three or four weeks. And March Madness in Las Vegas is just unbelievable with all the games going on and betting on the games and the cheers and the jeers. It, it, it's fantastic. Uh, you mentioned the match at Shadow Creek. I want to say that was right around Thanksgiving in 2017 2018 something like that and that was really a big deal and of course they had uh, the cj cup at uh, shadow creek in 2020 and and cascada and rio seco fantastic courses cascada is really the caesars corporation's version of shadow creek you know that's built for their high-end players and cascada is open to the public as is shadow creek shadow creek's much tougher to get on but uh, and and then Rio Seco is, I think Rio Seco is really one of the best layouts in town. Just fantastic golf course. So you're lucky to have played those two. You picked a couple of good ones. Yeah, um, you know, I I think that Cascada to me, I, I mean, nothing really about the golf in general. Just the experience was the second I've ever. I mean, I've played some really playing college golf. I played a, real, a lot of really good golf courses. I wouldn't say I played a lot of great golf courses, but I definitely played a lot of good ones. And the experience was unbelievable. And I agree with you, Rio Seiko, especially with the downtown or the, the strip in the background. It's just uh, it's fantastic. I, I've got, actually, you can see behind me, that's, I think it's Cascada behind me. Yeah, I noticed there. that. That is uh, definitely Cascada for sure. Yeah. Looks like uh, maybe, I, I don't know if that's the eight, I think that might be the 18th hole uh, where you've got the creek down the right and uh, funnels into a pond that's kind of greenside there. Yeah, I believe, I believe you're right. Yep, that is definitely 18. You're definitely right. Good eye, good eye. Um, but um, you know, so you're you're in the, in the VCN. You said it's the uh, was it the statistics and network? What, what was what's it stand yeah, for? Yeah, Vegas Stats and Information Network. Yeah. Right, so I mean, I, I feel like I mean, I'm kind of a numbers geek myself. You know, uh, I was the kid that watching baseball games at home in the living room. I was keeping score and you know, uh, community leagues. I was the scorekeeper referee growing up. I lived at a ballpark or on the golf course my whole life until I was 20 years old, probably. And so, I mean, I, I, you feel like you're living out like a, a kid's dream other well, than playing, yeah. other than playing the sport professionally, you have to feel like you're living out a kid's dream, right? No, there's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, handicapping sports and betting on sports. Uh, I, I am not a professional better. I don't, I don't bet sports for a living. My living is, you know, like we've discussed, uh, work decent and, and making tea times for people. But I, I would consider myself a professional handicapper because I, you know, I have to, I have to do that when I'm with VEASAN, uh, in, in working the shows and, and providing, you know, uh, intelligent information for our viewers and our listeners. And, and I do, you know, handicap golf and NFL football, uh, very seriously. And, and it works out nicely with the way those two schedules work out. Uh, the NFL is kind of finishing up when golf is starting. So, uh, I'm always focused focusing on just one sport basically throughout the calendar year. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's, it's a dream job uh, to be able to on air and talk 
talking with people and guests and co-hosts and everything about breaking down a game or breaking down a golf tournament. And then, you know, we talk about March Madness and the Masters coming up. I mean, no, it's just fantastic to be able to do a job where uh, your job is to research these events. And and I always say to be a sports better, you, you have to have a little bit of fan in you too. You, you have to have a passion for wanting to do that type of thing. And, and you know, I've been a fan since I was about five years old. So, yeah, it, it, it's certainly a labor of love. Well, the Masters coming up, and I don't want you necessarily to go into huge details about what you do, but, you know, for me playing the game at somewhat of a high level um, and and being a math nerd also, I kind of run numbers a little bit, put a little feel into it. Uh, do you necessarily kind of come up with a number? Or is that your kind of goal, or do you kind of like I'm, – I'm a red light, green light guy. I just – I look – first thing I do is I go down a list, and I'm more red light and green light everybody. So the red lights, they go ahead and go in the corner. You know, the green lights, I pull them over here in this stack. And then, you know, I'm kind of then trying to dissect uh, numbers on those specific guys, who they're matched up against, things like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I uh, do a similar process there, and especially with the Masters. You know, you're, you're probably not going to dive in too deeply on, uh, you know, why Sandy Lyle's going to win it this year or something like that. So certainly there's a lot of guys uh, in the Masters field and any any go field week to week where, yeah, I'll go down the list and kind of cross some guys off. And then there's certainly some guys where I have a first impression or a gut reaction to them possibly having success that particular week. And, you know, I, I go back a long time, uh, probably late 90s, where I was playing in uh, fantasy golf leagues where you had to pick a particular golfer to win a tournament uh, for the entire calendar year. And you had to pick a, a particular golfer for all 40 some PGA tour tournaments before the year started, it was not a week to week, more like the done leagues that they have in modern day fantasy golf, but you had to pick the entire calendar year before they started. And, and you could not pick a golfer more than once. So you really had to figure out the horses for the courses who played well at particular PGA tour tracks. And I think that has really helped me in my golf betting and handicapping, uh, today is knowing who might or should have success at a particular golf course. And so like you said, yeah, there's a lot of guys that will catch my right away. And a lot of guys I'll cross off at first glance. And then, yeah, you dive into the stats on those guys that you do put the green light on, like you say. Um, yeah. Then I'll dive into some of the numbers and see if what my initial reaction is also makes sense uh, with the numbers. And, and then you start to look at, what their prices are. are. Are you getting a fair price on them in the, in the outright market to win the golf tournament or in the head to head matchup? So, so yeah, it sounds like uh, our handicapping process at least is very similar in the beginning stages. Yeah. And I to also, I try to look like, for instance, I'll, I'll use an example uh, the TPC. Um, I was just browsing through and, you know, somebody that was a big green light for me in the TPC was Terrell Hatton. Right. And, um, uh, and I noticed that he was live action matched up against um, uh, Willie Zalatoris, you know, mm -hmm. the, the future kid of the sport, right? And I was out there looking after, and after 27 holes, man, Willie, Willie Zalatoris was gaining, you know, uh, 2.08 strokes, strokes gained putting for the tournament. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, that is not normal. And so, obviously, you know, law of averages tell us that's going to go closer back to zero. And, and, um, and, you know, so, and they were roughly tied for the tournament. I was like, this is a no brainer right here. 
Terrell Haddon plus 134 for the tournament. They're tied up. No brainer here. It's going to go the other way. Sure enough, you know, he ended up beating him by four or five shots for the tournament. Very, I was like a pat on my back. It's like, it's like whenever, you know, you, you make this call and like, you know, like Moses splits the waters, you walk right through to the promised land. That was that feeling at the end of that. Of course, you know, I've also had it go the other way as well. Well, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, there are certainly uh, peaks and valleys, but, you know, that that's great when you're able to identify something like that. And, and that's great handicapping because Will Zalatoris is not known for his putting prowess. He's certainly a ball striker and that type of thing. But when you see him kind of having an outlier performance like that, and, and it applies to anybody, it, they're kind of playing above head and then you identify and maybe conversely Terrell Hatton wasn't putting so well or something and like you say those things tend to you know go back to the mean so no great identification by you makes all in the world and and you were getting a great price on Hatton at plus 134 so good job by you and and we're glad it turned out and and uh you know I that's generally those are type of that you look for because do tend to turn out when when you've handicapped something like that going into the tournament, and then you see one guy kind of having liar performance one way or the other, um, you know you can kind of pick and choose where you might see there's an edge, and and certainly you picked a good one. Um, question I have uh, since you're kind of closer to the vet, you're closer to the situation than I am. I've noticed that the um, the newer apps um, have seemed to not necessarily push the matchups as much um i don't know if you've noticed that at all or what but like you know the very few matchups if at any on the newer on the and i'm talking about the newer states that have come online um and it might be totally different out there but um you know over here on the east coast the the matchups are very few and far between uh is what is uh, what is offered and um i don't do you think do you think that the the websites or the or the apps are trying to protect themselves the companies are trying to protect themselves because obviously that's the uh, maybe the best way to find it find an edge. You're right. The, the head-to-head matchups is the best way to turn a profit betting golf. Uh, you have the uh, basic, I, I don't know if the low amount of risk is the right word, but to, the, the book has the most amount of, you know, um, uh, I, I'm trying to think of the right word here. The hold, the hold percentage is the lowest on head-to-head matchups. The the largest hold percentage are markets like first round leader and outright winner. You know, it's very, very difficult. That's that's a, a needle in a haystack type bet. But when you have player A matched up against player B, uh, that's your best opportunity as a golf better uh, to turn a profit. And it's unfortunate that the the menu is limited and, and maybe that is to protect themselves. But I also probably think it's maybe just being new to the game, if well, some of these newer and golf betting is relatively new to all bookmakers, you know, don't have a lot of books around the world that are really well versed in golf and they're becoming better and better and sharper and sharper for sure. As every year goes by. Um, and, and I imagine those books uh, that you're talking about and apps and whatnot will start to feature a greater menu. Um, but out here in Las Vegas, I know what you're talking about as well. There's a few books that only might offer 10 different matchups. And then there's a few that might have 30 or 40. So, uh, yeah, I, I like to have a bigger menu because, you know, you might have 
Dustin Johnson or Jordan Spieth or whatever, a player that you really like that particular week. And then you go to look at the head to head matchup menu and there's only one or two offerings and they're paired against a player that you don't really want to go against. And so when you have a lot of options, uh, obviously it gives you a, a better opportunity to find one that you like. And, and I would imagine as time goes on, you'll see those menus increase. Yeah. Yeah. Along with uh, more and more and more and more and more prop bets to come, I'm sure. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, golf betting, you know, I, I've talked about this with a lot of folks at VEASAN. Uh, I, I think golf betting is one sport that is just absolutely ripe for an explosion. There's so many different ways you can bet on golf. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely the greatest game. Uh, that's why everybody plays it. <laughs> no matter what, no matter how good or bad you are, everybody plays it. Right. That's so, right. um, you know, uh, with a little bit more information about VSIN, how could uh, some of our uh, fans and uh, customers maybe uh, um, uh, benefit from uh, from what you guys do and offer? Well, the, the amount of content that is offered at VSIN is just absolutely incredible. There's, you know, radio, uh, digital and TV offerings as far as a way to view and, and listen to vSIN. Uh, there's a quite a bit of information if you go to vSIN.com, V-S-I-N.com, and then slash subscribe. There's a number of different packages uh, that you can look into that make sense for you. It's very, very inexpensive. And really, you're just paying for content like you would any sort of subscription service. Um, costs like 20 bucks a month if you average it out. And uh, uh, you know, you're you're given access to all the video, all the TV, all the radio. Uh, it's on iHeartRadio. You know, you can find it wherever you get your podcast. So there's just an absolutely number of ways uh, to be able to log on to VEASAN and, and listen to the hosts and view the hosts and and all the guests and all the information. I mean, our, our live programming is almost 24-7. I believe it's 22 hours of live programming from a sports betting perspective. So if you're looking for information on that type of thing, there's no better place to get it. Uh, you also have a daily newsletter that comes with a lot of the best bets from the hosts and the guests. You have a weekly newsletter called Point Spread Weekly that is uh, a little bit more stats and article based. And I, I just, uh, you know, hundred different ways that VEASAN is spitting out content for everybody on a daily basis. And it's remarkable. I, I've turned friends onto it that have, you know, they just thought we had like a 19 package. You could get everything that we did uh, for madness for 19 bucks all the way through the NCAA tournament blown away by how much information was provided as they tried to handicap and fill out a bracket and make some bets games. So yeah, it, it's pretty astonishing uh, how much information is available uh, when you actually subscribe to VSIN. Good. So uh, now with the Tea Times USA, um, I knew I threw out a few states that you're in uh, and you, of course you said Las Vegas is your capital, but uh, uh, is this a company you started from the ground up um, or? And, I did. And yeah, I, I did. I, I started uh, I started DK's golf services in year 2000 and I ran that was my own company that ran for 13 years and then T Times USA is a national uh, reservation service and they purchased my company and then retained me to continue to run Las Vegas for them uh, so T Times USA like alluded to a little bit earlier they do reservations all country and even in the UK. Uh, and I just continue to run the Las Vegas market for them. 
so that that's how that kind of all came to fruition. And I've been with Tea Times USA now for over seven years. And, um, you know, it, it's been uh, it's been a great experience and it allows me to still do my broadcasting work with VSIN and uh, juggle both things. So it, it's, um, you know, it's like VSIN is kind of a professional hobby and, and Tea Times USA is uh, is my actual job that I've been doing for, you know, over 20, nearly, nearly 25 years now. Mm. So, uh, so when we come out there, uh, what, what may, okay. Uh, what is a place, um, golf wise, uh, out, out there that maybe doesn't get the recognition or is kind of what you call a diamond in the rough, uh, like golf course and, and, or, um, let's say, um, experience out there. Well, I don't know if you, Andrew, have heard of the Paiute resort, but the Las Vegas Paiute, that's P A I U T E. Uh, it's out on an Indian reservation, about 35 minutes off of the strip. Uh, you know, a lot of people think it's so far. Away. It's not. It's about 35 minutes off of the strip. Not a big deal. Um, but it, it's really remarkable. I think it's probably the most unique golf course in Las Vegas. Now, you could also say Shadow Creek is the most unique because it looks like you're in the middle of North Carolina. <laughs> and when you play Shadow Creek, doesn't look anything like a desert. But Paiute is absolutely full-blown desert no homes on the course it's just joshua trees and mountain scenery and um you know because you are 35 minutes off of the strip you kind of feel like you're out in the middle of nowhere and, and it is really remarkable and stunning to look at three peat dye designs out there really a world-class facility so the Paiute is, and because they are just a little bit further away than everybody else they charge less money so, I mean, you can play out at Paiute for, you know, anywhere from like a hundred to $200. And, you know, a lot of these golf courses in Las Vegas are just charging incredible prices, three, four, five, six hundred dollars $600. But the Paiute, you know, for a hundred or $200, you're getting that same quality. And so I think it, it's one of the best values in town and one of the most unique experiences, especially for someone like yourself coming from Tennessee or anybody coming from all different parts of the country uh, to see that desert experience, that full-blown desert experience at Paiute is remarkable. Yeah. Um, I think, is there one out there called the wolf something, something wolf? Well, there, yeah, there's a couple there. There's the wolf course at Paiute that, mm -hmm. like I, I mentioned, there's three courses at Paiute, the sun mountain where they had a corn, uh, corn ferry tour event, the sun uh, snow mountain course, and then the wolf course. And, and all three are fantastic. Then there's also wolf Creek, which you might be referring to wolf Creek is up in Mesquite, which is a, a 90 minute drive from the strip. So it is a ways out there. Um, but it is a remarkable experience as well. It, it's kind of like physically and mentally exhausting. It's so stunning. There's elevation change and it's just an amazing property. Uh, and it's a lot to swallow, you know, both physically playing the golf course. It's, it's difficult. It takes a long time. It's arduous. And then, you know, mentally, you're, you're just kind of taking in this scenery as well. It, I, I always like to call it golf on steroids. It is, it is something. It's certainly worth seeing once. You may not want to go back again, but just for the visual experience, it's worth making the trip up there at least once. Well, I, yeah, I think I played – I, I want to say we played – first time I ever came out there was 05. 05, is that right? Uh, no. Might have been 07. Anyway, um, yeah, it was 07 because my my wife had just turned 21. We went out there and played the well, I played the wolf at the Paiute, and that was the 
Cinco de Mayo weekend, Oscar De La Hoya retirement fight weekend. City oh, was in the buzz. Go. City was, yeah, was and, the, and the Kentucky Derby going on too. Yep. Yep. And um it was, it was a wild, wild weekend, fun. Played that golf course, like you said, beautiful 85 degree day, you know, perfect in May. Um uh yeah. Uh, I I I grew up, you know, like I said, I played junior golf, tournament golf, you know, I'm 38 years old. A lot of people my age, um, that grew up in that junior golf uh, atmosphere, unfortunately, don't play anymore because they either tried to turn pro or they got burnt out because that's whenever the playing one sport kind of thing was birthed into uh, to the youth sports, unfortunately. And so uh, and I kind of ran into that a little bit, you know, coming out of college. But, you know, since I've gotten older and, you know, I've got kids now and I don't get to play any golf at all, <laughs> I seem to really just turn into a fanboy of the sport and uh, and really golf courses, you know, I, you know, we, we try to make a place, you know, to go somewhere uh, every year with me and my dad and my brother. You know, we've, we've done, like I said, the, the two out in Vegas. We've done Torrey Pines. We're going up to uh, French Lick this, this, this summer and playing. Um, and, and, and uh, I, mean, I mean, golf's just the greatest sport. You know, uh, it's, 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 it's spiritual. I, it can be spiritual while you're out there, uh, you know, with a beautiful peacefulness and everything. And I hate to get a little gushy here talking about fantasy sports and stats, <laughs> but it's the truth. Um, but, um, yeah, Brady, I appreciate you coming on, talking about everything you do. And, and, and you know, if, if for some reason down the road we do it again, we'll do it again. But before you go, there is one thing that we do at the end of every episode on the Term Fantasy Golf Podcast. And uh, that is we talk about – we have this thing called the dart and the heart. Okay, so we want to talk about where your heart is and what your dart play of the week. First of all, the dart play, that's going to be your long shot. You're picking a dart at, throwing it across the room and landed on a name. I know we don't have the numbers in front of us. That don't really matter. But we're looking for a long shot, Brady. Who, who do you like as a long shot, dark horse? Yeah, I, I've made a few bets for the Masters, and uh, probably uh, my longest shot was Jason Day. I bet him at 125 to one, and he, you know, was not even in the Masters field at the time. Uh, so that was certainly a gamble that he was going to get into the top 50 in the world or win a tournament or what have you. Uh, so I took a stab with Jason Day, and and the price was right at 125 to one. If he did get into the field, you'd, you'd love Love to have that ticket in your hand. Um, I also played Mark Leishman at 125 to one, who's had great success at Augusta in the past. Uh, as far as a shorter shot, I took uh, Cameron Smith at 40 to one. Now, Cam Smith entering Masters Week is, you know, in the neighborhood of 18 to one to win the thing. But I bet him on the Friday night when he was the 36 hole leader at Kapalua, I was able to grab him at 40 to one. And so I, I really like the number I've got on him. And uh, as we get a little closer to them teeing off on Thursday, I'm at, I'm at a bet on, uh, on Dustin Johnson and I might add one on Brooke Kepka as well, but, uh, I, I, I would say Cameron Smith, DJ and Kepka are more of my darts and, uh, Leishman and Jason day are, are more of my heart. I, I did also, I did also make a, a long shot bet on Shane Lowry. I played him at a hundred to one. So hopefully a couple of these are, or one of them anyway, will turn out. Yeah. So our, what we define our heart play is that you wake up on that, on that, uh, Thursday morning, you got a, a $5 chip in your, in your drawer. And that, and that's the one that, you know, this has to win, this has to win. So, um, so, uh, you say like DJ Cam Smith Brooks, um, I actually kind of like where DJ's at. He seems I that whenever, too. whenever he's up kind of up against it, but he's playing pretty decent, 
he's not playing great, but he's playing pretty decent. And obviously, he shot 60 nothing in the final round of the TPC. But when he's kind of up against it, and I, just, I don't know if you just saw the other day that, you know, he's moved out of the top 10 in the world for the first time in a decade or something. I yeah. like where he's at. And uh, pissed off is probably a good place for him to be on the golf course, honestly. So uh, I, I like that. Like stars that are aligning. Yeah, you know, and, and if you can get the right price on them, I'm kind of waiting for the right price to pop. But but I'm with you. I think I think the stars are or or the setup is kind of aligning for DJ to possibly show well at Augusta. Andrew, I just wanted to throw one more thing on the Masters at then, which we talked a lot about in the podcast. Uh, we're lucky enough to be joined uh, for the past couple of years by Scott Van Pelt of ESPN. And of course, he's a part of the Masters coverage. Uh, myself and a couple of colleagues, and we do a show called Long Shots uh, on VSIN. And Scott will be our guest for Masters Week, previewing the tournament and giving all our plays out, head to head matchups, outright winners, you name it. So, a special show coming up at VSIN this week for Long Shots. Is he going to be an all week or just maybe just a, a one episode or is that, how's that going to work? Yeah, he'll just be our guest on long shots uh, for one segment. Uh, he'll be with us for about 10 or 12 minutes, giving all his thoughts on this year's uh, tournament at Augusta National. So it, it's a special privilege to have Scott on and uh, he's got great insights. He knows all the players. So um, he's really good to talk to when you preview this particular tournament. Yeah. And I, I was looking here on your, see, is it a, uh... So, yeah, at VSIN Live on Twitter is how we can find information about them guys, at VSIN Live. On, and then uh, the Tea Times one is at Tea Times USA. And, of course, Brady here is Las Vegas Golfer. Man, that's yeah. a that's a great handle. How do you come across that? <laughs> I, I got to give credit to my wife. She she did it for me many years ago. Yeah, at Las Vegas Golfer on Twitter, uh, at V Live on Twitter, and then of course uh, vsin.com for all the information there, and then uh, teatimesusa.com. Well, Brady, once again, thanks for coming on, and uh, everybody, thanks for listening. It's Masters Week. We're excited. Got tons of content coming your way. Um, I'm Andrew Putters. This is the Turn Fantasy Golf Podcast brought to you by Rotoballer.com. It's gonna drive me. It's gonna-